In the book of Mark, chapter number uh, 5, we'll begin reading in verse 25. And I'm taking tonight uh, a woman who shows us the example of uh, faith. And uh, we see how faith is lived out in her life. And, uh, of course, we can compare it to the faith that the Lord has given us. But as we read this text, I want us to notice the emphasis of her faith is on the worth and the value of Christ. Faith is always in Christ's worth and in his value. Let's read the verses. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew the worse. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Faith has the divine gift and ability to see into the past. It is also capable of venturing into the future. That's how we know Christ came. That's how we know Christ is coming. We know that by faith. But the true basis and operations of faith are not in the past or in the future, but they are in the present tense. I'm interested in this woman's faith, in the worth and the value of Christ in her life, present tense. You can tell me of a faith of yesterday, You can tell me of a faith in tomorrow, but what I'm interested in is a faith that is working in your life right now at this moment. And I want us to see this woman's faith in the worth and the value of Christ in her life at this present tense. Now, there are three things that I would bring to your attention as we look at this thought. First of all, I'd have you to understand what I call the painful road to her faith in the worth of Christ. Can I suggest to you tonight that there are times of which faith seems to come easy? I'm thinking of my experience in salvation. I heard the gospel on three different accounts and occasions. The Lord came my way... Uh, one day and took that which I had heard with my ears, brought it down 
to my heart and conviction took hold. And he spoke to me of my need of Christ. Instantaneously, I believed on him, and I was saved at that moment. But can I confess to you that there have been many other issues in my life of which the Lord has dealt with me over and wanted to do a work in my life that I did not find it so easy to believe him for. I remember hearing a fellow testify about his salvation experience. He said, from the day that the Lord convicted him to the day that he was saved, it was five long years before he could surrender. I don't know whether it will be in salvation or whatever uh, the situation may be, but I will promise you there will become those times when it will not be easy to believe Christ for what he's wanting to do, present tense, in your life. And in those times, the Lord has prepared a road. Uh, He has prepared a trail. He has prepared for you a road that will lead you to the place of where you can fully trust Him and believe in His worth and His value in your life concerning that situation or whatever that issue may be. It is so in this woman's life. As we noticed in the text, there is a painful road that she has to travel, but thank God it brings her to the place of faith in the worth of Christ. Now, let's notice this road that she traveled, and maybe you can compare it to the road possibly you've had to travel in your life, or you may have to in the future. I want us to notice the the condition of this woman along this road as she travels it. First of all, I point out to you what I call her physical condition on this painful road to faith in the worth of Christ. Now this physical condition is spelled out in three ways. Look in verse number 25. The Bible said, A certain woman which had an issue. Now, I would pray tonight that there's no one here that has this difficulty and infirmity that this woman had. But we all have our issues. We all have had our issues of which have been beyond our capabilities and we needed Christ to take care of that issue. The word issue means to pull on life. It has the idea of a draining of your, of your strength and of your life's resources. She is losing her blood, which is the life of the body, and as a result of that, she is getting weaker and weaker. No doubt it is becoming evident to her, and you can see the fatigue in her face. She has lost the gleam in her eyes. She is certainly sick because she has an issue. And there are many issues that have a way of pulling the life out of us as it did her. I'm talking about her physical condition. It is not only described as an issue, but if you'll notice in verse number 29, it is depicted as a fountain. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. That word fountain has the idea of a spring back in the mountains. On the farm there in the mountains of North Carolina, there are seven springs. 
And uh, Esther's family, my wife's family, has inhabited that land for almost 200 years, going back to her grandfather, great-grandfather, and so on. And all of those families have fed off of those those uh, springs, or as the term is here, fountain. It means that which has come to stay. And you could ask her daddy and ask her grandfather, and of course they had talked to the many that were before them, and no one had ever recollected any one of those springs ever drying up. They had been flowing all of those years, even up to our day in which we also drank out of those springs, used off of those springs. This is the idea. This woman has a condition. It is an issue that is sucking the life out of her. But it is not something that has lasted a day or a week or a month. But it seems as though that it has come to stay in her life. And up to this point, it has been 12 long years. She has a condition. Yes. Notice, if you will, also in verse number uh, 29 and in verse number 34, this condition she has is not only an issue and a fountain, but it is called a plague. The word plague means to chew on or to gnaw at. It implies that she has not come to the place to where she can accept her condition. Uh, she is not just living with it in peace, but it is a condition of which she is losing her life's energy. It is a flow that has uh, come to stay and it is as a dog that is gnawing at her heels. Uh, It is aggravating her. It is agitating her. It is very much a, a painful experience that she is going through. She has a definite physical condition that is depicted here in the Scriptures. And it is this condition that is leading her uh, to the crossroads of which she can have faith in the worth and the value of Christ. And can I suggest to you that God can allow, blessed be His name, some difficult times in our lives, and blessed be those times, if they're leading us to a place of faith in Christ. And so it is a physical condition. But I notice also in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 that this physical condition is a social disorder also. It is not something she can keep to herself. The Bible tells us, And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, All the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Now, if you know anything about this word unclean in reference to the Old Testament, it's a very fearful term. Because if you were classified unclean, such as the leper, that meant that you were quarantined and you were separated and isolated from the rest of the house of Israel into a 
colony of others who were unclean. And the reason that being so is because you have the innate ability that everything you touched also became unclean. And so it was a social disorder of the like of which this woman has classified, as I read in your hearing, as the leper, she has become unclean. And if this woman were to venture to your house and perhaps she were to come into your house, then by law that house would become unclean. If she were to pick up your baby, God forbid the child would become unclean. And you would have to call the priest. He would have to come and go through the rites and rituals of purification. And these items or persons would remain unclean for seven days. So you can imagine also the frustration in the community if this woman came anywhere around. Because as much as they might love her, she might be a family member, someone of kinfolk, someone that you could love, someone that you have known, a likable person. But yet, you knew that she had a disease far beyond your capability of helping. And by the right of Scripture, she was unclean. And if she came around, she was simply going to contaminate everything in your life and everything that she was around. It sort of reminds me of the effect of sin in an individual's life. You can take a young man in a very decent home and uh, he can, he can uh, I'll tell you, get on drugs or alcohol and it's not something, you know, that he can keep within himself. No man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. And it seems as though it'll have an effect upon that home, the spirit of that home. It'll jerk the life out of that home. And, and every time the old boy comes around, the last words that are spoken in anybody's presence as he drives off, poor fella, it seems like he's never going to give up the bottle. He's never going to be able to give up uh, the drugs or the alcohol or same thing for whoever the person may be, the issue in their life is not only a physical issue, but it has become, I'll tell you, a social issue, which in, in fact is a spiritual issue. The truth of the matter is, a person who is unclean was forbidden even to come to the house of God. They could not come into the synagogue. They could not come into the temple. They could not come to the tabernacle in Old Testament times. They were forbidden to come together or congregate with other people because they would, uh, they, they would uh, 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 cause an uncleanness uh, in the whole setting. And so as a result, it even became a spiritual condition. But... Uh, it seemed as though that there had been no priest that's been able to help her anyway. Right. There is no verse that's ever been read so far that has delivered her. Seems like the religious world couldn't do anything for her anyhow. And isn't it amazing that America is filled with churches, with steeples, but yet uh, we've got more sinners, more ungodliness, and more drugs and all those other things than we've ever had before. The reason being is there's no church and there's no preacher and there's no verse in and of itself that can ever deliver a sinner. We are helpless to do so. We must have the Lord on the scene if there's going to be any help for the members of our family, for this town that you live in. It's going to take the very presence of the Lord to be able to save and to turn it around. 
So I'm talking about a condition. Oh, she has a woeful condition. And it has become a social condition. It is a spiritual condition. But did you notice also the scripture tells us in verse number 26, it became a financial condition. Now, I don't know where this woman got her money. The source of it, maybe through a husband, maybe through an inheritance, but she had some. In verse 26, the Bible said she'd suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all. Don't know how much she had, but I know how much she spent. She spent it all. And the Bible said she was nothing better, but rather grew the worse. She has come to the very bottom of her experience. She has traveled a long road, devastating, crushing road. And now she sits in her agony, she sits in her sickness that has prevailed against all of the hopes and helps that this old world could offer her. She has expended not only all of her energy, but she has expended all of her money. She's flat broke and has nothing more with which to purchase any other hope as far as her condition. The long, painful road that she has traveled has brought her to the end. Now, I say that to say this. Before you can ever have faith, and that's where we're going, faith in Christ. Before you can ever have faith, you're going to have to lose faith. Someone would say, well, wouldn't it have been wonderful if Jesus had come a month earlier? Wouldn't it have been glorious if he'd have showed up a year earlier and she wouldn't have had to have suffered so long? Can I say to you, if she'd have come, if Jesus had come one day earlier, it would have been all in vain. Because she would have not yet been done with all the remedies and cure-alls that man had to offer her and she'd have never turned to Christ. But Jesus knew exactly when to show up. It's when she had come to the end of the road and she had lost all hope and all faith in anything that this world had to offer. You've got to come to unbelief before you can ever believe. You've got to lose faith before you can ever have faith. Can I say to you tonight, it wouldn't hurt us to lose a little faith in self. It wouldn't hurt us to lose a little faith in the economy. Wouldn't hurt us to lose a little faith in the government. Wouldn't hurt us to lose a little faith in Social Security. It wouldn't hurt you to lose a little faith in the religious aspect. It wouldn't hurt you to lose a little faith in this preacher or this preacher. 
as long as it left you at the feet of Jesus as the only solution that you could have for the issues that are ailing you and that are alive in your heart and in your soul. She has been brought to the end of the trail. There's nothing left. She's a total unbeliever. Our problem in this hour is not a lack of faith. We find faith everywhere. The problem is is where what faith is in. The people and the places that we put our faith. But she now has spent all. She's none the better. But she has grown worse. Now can you see this woman as she goes back to her little abode, wherever it is, what she has left, closes the door into the darkness of her issue, knowing there's no place to turn now. And she sits in the agony of total unbelief. She doesn't believe in the system no more because she's done tried every element of it and none of it worked. If you live very long in this body at all, there's going to something go wrong with it. I've been blessed to have a measure of good health for my 39 years. And plus. (laughs) Uh, In the last seven years, I've come down with what is called psoriasis. I got it the year I went into evangelism. I think it's the preachers I hang around. I don't know for sure. And I don't know if you know what psoriasis is. It's where patches of skin develop a thousand times the cells do faster than normal. And have you ever noticed... And, and, and I'm not throwing stones because I'm just as bad about it. If I find out somebody's got an ailment and I've heard of somebody else that had it and something helped them, I want to share it with them, don't you? And isn't it amazing when you come down with something, if you let the cat out of the bag, how many people have the solution or the cure for that or at least some advice on it? And I just couldn't tell you across this country how many hundreds of people have. And if you got a little bit of advice tonight you think it might work, I'll listen. But I've just about come to the end of the road on it. I mean, I've about tried it all. I had a fellow call me one day and he said, turn on the TV. They got this place in India where they have this fish in this tank and they take you over there. They put you down in that tank and it eats those scales off that syringe. I said, brother, those are called piranha, and I ain't going, I guarantee you that. But I did turn it on and watch it. But I think the, the peak of, of solutions to my problem came when a dear lady, whom I know, love to this day, came up to me, elderly woman, she said, preacher, you know, I had psoriasis all over my body until I had a baby. I said, well, I mean, you know, I'm kind of out on that. My wife had four, and that ain't helped me none. Might have helped it along a little bit. I don't know. But I know that this woman here, no doubt, is, she has tried it all. And no doubt there have been those well-wishers that, that uh, just couldn't leave her alone. I'm just imagining now, that as she has gone and shut herself up, she's grown worse, she's none the better, that there would be those that would come by. I can imagine now in my mind uh, someone coming by, maybe yelling up toward the house and saying, Dear lady, 
There's a new doctor come to town, says he's dealt with your kind of disease and thinks he might be able to help you. <laughs> Can you see her as she goes to the door, cracks it just a little bit in her despair and unbelief, and she says, tell him I don't believe it. Besides that, I ain't got no money. Closes the door, sits back down. Can you imagine someone else coming along with a kindness of heart, yelling in her direction and saying to her, Dear lady, they've shipped a new herb in from China. Says it'll work on your kind of disorder. In her unbelief, she opens the door and says, Tell them I don't believe it. I ain't got no money, no how. Closes the door in unbelief. She's tried it all. And then I can see some other soul come by, yell in her direction, and says, Dear lady, Benny the Hen has come to town. He says he thinks he can heal folks like you by hitting you in the forehead. Don't worry, somebody will catch you for insurance purposes. <laughs> and see her open the door and said, Tell Benny, I don't believe it. And I ain't got no money, no half. <laughs> She has come to the place of total unbelief. And before you can ever believe, He's got to bring you down a painful road to where there is an unbelief in the systems of this old world. But notice with me, not by mistake, what the Scripture said in verse 27 immediately after. She spent all. She was nothing better, but rather grew the worse. The Bible said in verse number 27, And when she heard of Jesus, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I don't know how it happened. I don't know exactly when it happened. But somehow, setting in her total unbelief, believing nothing anymore, just waiting on the last ounce of blood to flow out of her body, somebody must come by her house. I don't know who that somebody is. I just have to imagine. Could have been the maniac of Gadara. I don't know. It could have been Lazarus. I don't know. It could have been Zacchaeus. I don't know. But somebody evidently that knew him come back. And probably not even thinking about her, she just heard. Sitting in her unbelief. Nothing else to believe in. All of a sudden she hears from somebody's golden lips, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, has come to town. And he can save, he can heal. And can you see her sitting in her agony? She hears the words, faith takes hold in her heart. And she lifts up and she says, that's it. (laughs) That's what she said in verse number 28. If I may but touch his clothes. (laughs) All of a sudden, a genuine divine faith has took hold in her heart. 
she comes up still weak and staggering and frail and she heads out saying, I'm going to Jesus. I know that he is the answer and that if I touch him, she saw the worth of Christ in her life present tense when nothing else matters and she said, I must touch him. And thank God she headed to Christ. I want to say to you tonight, praise God for every road that leads us to that point. Though it be a painful road that we must travel that leads us to the crossroads of losing faith in self and this old world and gaining faith in Christ. The painful road that she had to travel. But now notice with me the second thing. Not only the painful road that she traveled to faith in the worth of Christ, but I want you to notice the power that responded to her faith in the worth of Christ. And can I say to you that heaven only responds to faith and nothing else. It is when faith is exercised in Christ that it gains heaven's attention and Christ begins to work on our behalf. The power that responded. I get that word power out of the text here where he said in verse 30, Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that word virtue is the same word that's found in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power, it is the virtue of God unto salvation. And so there is a power that responds to her faith, to her faith in his worth. Two things that I want to say to you there. First of all, I want you to know that there is no cure without contact. If you're going to experience a deliverance, it's going to have to come through a contact. She touched him. Now, Simon and the disciples are aware that there's a great throng there and they're all pressing against him and, and, and it makes uh, the disciples are puzzled at the fact that Jesus would be concerned about somebody touching him. They said, well, there's, there's many of them that are here today. But uh, si- Jesus brings it to their attention that it's not the crowd that he's concerned with that have come and gathered in that day for the excitement of what might happen But he is concerned with the one who has come there that day for the full intent of touching him. I'm afraid in this hour we're caught up in the numbers game. And we think that heaven's impressed on how many that we've got here. But heaven's not so much impressed with how many's here. But heaven's concerned with the one that is here for the purpose of having an issue and wanting to touch Christ in the issue that he or she has. C.H. Spurgeon said the one woman was worth the entire crowd. And so she was. The crowd was there, someone has said, 
The crowd touched him because he was there. But thank God she was there just to touch him. And she came pressing through the crowd. Faith had caused her to come. Because she needs, she saw the need of touching the H-E-M of the H-I-M. And she did so. All she said, and Mark and or Luke and, and Matthew said, that it, they called it the border and, and the hymn. Uh, she came pressing uh, to touch the H-E-M of the H-I-M. She saw the urgency of it. She had to touch him. And I'll tell you tonight, we need to get beyond the sermon and beyond the song. The important thing is when you leave this building tonight, you know that you have touched him. You have felt that there has been a contact. There has been, thank God, a touch. When's the last time that you knew that you had touched Jesus? She touched the H-E-M of the H-I-M. But you know, as I read this text, and I also read the other writers' accounts of the gospel, I never read where she actually touched the H-I-M said she only touched the border or uh, she touched the hem, she touched the garment. She never really physically touched the H-I-M. But yet in the other writers and also here, the disciples are talking about how she had touched uh, the H-I-M. But she had touched the H-E-M. I pondered that and I wondered about it. And one day it dawned on me that I neither had ever touched physically the H-I-M. Have you? I've never, as John, laid my head on the bosom of the H-I-M. I've never been able to touch the hand of the H-I-M. But I am glad, thank God, that I have been able to touch some things that have touched him. As this woman did. And if you can touch something that touches him before long, you're going to realize that you're touching him. It won't really make any difference. If you can touch the H-E-M of the H-I-M, it won't be long you're realizing you're touching the H-I-M of the H-E-M. Now let me explain that. There have been times in which Jesus has been seen so far and distant in my heart. And I've got a hold of the H-E-M of the Word of God. And as I began to read the Word of God, I was touching the H-E-M, and it wasn't long till the H-I-M showed up. Isn't that the way it works? Thank God for the H-E-M of the H-I-M. There have been times my heart has been cold and indifferent, and I found me a little place of a closet of prayer. And in the prayer of the H-E-M, it wasn't long as I was tugging on the H-E-M until it seemed like the H-I-M showed up in the closet. There are times that I've went to the house of God, believe it or not, as a preacher and it seemed as though my thoughts were empty and I didn't have a passion on the inside. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to do something. And I got into the house of God and some dear saints as tonight would get up and, and in the H-E-M of their voice, they would begin to sing praises unto the Lord. And it wouldn't be long until the H-I-M showed up through the H-E-M. 
There have been times I've stood up and looked out over a congregation and I could see heavy hearts and burdened souls. And it would seem as though that I became the H-E-M of the proclamation of the Word of God. And it wasn't long as I proclaimed that somebody would reach out and touch the H-E-M and it wouldn't be long until the H-I-M showed up in their lives. Yeah. Oh, she said, I just need to touch the H-E-M. But when she touched him, there was a transfusion that took place as the H-I-M took over in her life. You know, as we noticed in her condition, uh, she was unclean, and so everything she touched became unclean. But on this day, when she reached out and touched the H-E-M of the H-I-M, there came a transfusion. Her blood didn't affect him. But his blood affected her. And the Bible said that she knew. Look at that. In verse number 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. How many times had she tried the pills and the medicines that the doctors have given? And they said, take two of these, go home, and see if they won't help you, and come back next week. She come back next week, and they said, now didn't that make you feel better? She said, Doc, I don't know. I, don't, I thought maybe I was, but then I still feel like all oh, that helped you. Take two more, and these will help you even better. And I'll give you a shot on top of that, and that'll be 50 more, 100 more bucks, and we'll do some tests. That'll be three or 400 more dollars, and we'll get you straight out. You'll feel better. I promise you, you will. <laughs> None the better! You ever been there? Grew the worse! <laughs> but on this day, she didn't have to have no report from no doctor. She didn't have to come back for another visit. She didn't have two more pills to take and another shot and some kind of x-ray. She fell in her body! Now I realize that faith always comes first, but thank God once faith has took hold, there's going to be a feeling. Yes, sir. And I'm here to tell you, if you ain't never felt it, you probably ain't never faced it. Because if faith really operates in your life and you touch Him, you're going to feel that flow, that blood transfusion yes. that'll take place in your heart and in your life. She said, ooh, that feels good. I like that. <laughs> she knew. Hadn't even said anything to her yet. And she knew. Preacher talked about it and said he got down on his knees and he got up and knew. <laughs> There's some things you can know, especially if you ever touch him. Oh, how vital, how important it is. And there is a power, there is a transfusion that flowed back in her direction for the first time. Now, I'm talking about faith and the worth and the ability and the importance of Christ in your life, in your issue right now. There, there is a painful road many times that we'll have to travel to come to the crossroads of faith in Him. But once we get there, there will be a power. There is no cure without contact. But I say to you, once there is contact, there will be a cure. 
The power will flow. Thank God. But lastly, I want you to notice with me in the text, the proclamation that revealed her faith in the worth of Christ. Now, a question arises in my mind. I understand that this story does not begin with this woman in verse 25. But if you'll look up in verse number uh, 22, it begins with Jesus promising Jairus or going with Jairus to Jairus' house because of his daughter's issue. And of course the great crowd uh, comes around and the press and they head toward Jairus' house. It's in the midst of this process and progress that this woman reaches out and touches Jesus by faith. <laughs> you know, uh, we noticed this morning that faith is never refused. When the woman with the past came to Jesus by faith, she was received. Can I say to you in this text that faith is never refrained or put on hold? Wouldn't you think that with as great of an important uh, situation as Jairus' daughter being at the point of death and Jesus moving in that direction that somehow you just keep on going, you wouldn't even stop. But the truth of the matter is, wherever faith is exercised, heaven will put everything on hold to deal with that faith wherever it is. Jesus doesn't turn to this woman and say, well now, sister, you're just going to have to wait and I'll get back. I've got a more important subject over here to take care of. And once I get done with this, I'll come back. Oh, no. Faith is never guilty of imposing on heaven. Aren't you glad of that? Yes. You don't have to wait in line. <laughs> Thank God. With all the waiting in line that we have to do, that when faith is ready to be exercised, heaven will stand still and take care of that need. And so she comes in the crowd. She touches Jesus and automatically she's made whole. All right. The issue's taken care of, isn't it? The Bible says it is. She knew she had been made whole. So my question is, if Jairus' daughter is at the point of death, and it's a very urgent situation, why does Jesus spend so much time with a situation that's already taken care of? Why doesn't he just go on? She's, she's, she's healed. Why does he take the time to let it be proclaimed, this proclamation that she has faith in his worth? There's three reasons why Jesus does not allow her to keep it a secret. Not that she'd even want to. I think, first of all, the reason why Jesus draws our, her situation uh, to our attention is because he wants her to know that he knows what she knows. And aren't you glad when Jesus saved you, he didn't leave it a secret so that when you got to heaven, you'd say, he'd say oh, by the way, I just wanted you to know, I saved you. But in the point and place and moment that you were saved, the Holy Ghost let you know that heaven knew what you knew. He knew what had taken place in this woman's life and he let her know that he knew what she knew. 
I'm glad that heaven has a way of letting me know. And I'm going to tell you something. If heaven doesn't know that there's a touch that has taken place in your life, it's because there hadn't been a touch. Heaven knows about it. He wants her to know he knows what she knows. Now, that is of vital importance. Because if he hadn't done that, and that woman got back to the house, folks are going to begin to ask her, Hey, what happened? How come you're not having to go back to the doctor? How you got your color back in your, uh, in your face? Are you do- Oh, I'm, I just noticed you're not drooping anymore. What happened? And she may have said, well, it's in my finger. I didn't know I had a powerful finger like that. I just going on one day and I just touched somebody and boy, I'm going to tell you, the juice flowed through that finger. That's a holy finger right there. Then you know what had happened. Everybody would have come around just to kiss her finger. You know how religion is. Mm, can I kiss your finger? Mm. And then when she'd have died, they'd have cut her finger off and put it in a jar and pickled it. And for years, people would have paid homage. You say, well, I don't think, why, why do you think that the Lord hid the body of Moses? They would have made an idol out of that body and worshiped that body. So Jesus doesn't leave it up to her to guess what happened. He's saying, lady, I just want you to know before you go back to the house that it wasn't in your finger, it was in your faith. Thank God. I'm glad this work of salvation was not in me, not in my goodness, not in my ability, but it was in my faith. Hallelujah. I want you to know, I know what you know. But you know, there's a crowd there that day that we have emphasized and we have magnified who knew about her condition. As a matter of fact, I think that's probably one of the reasons why she is fearful in verse 33 when she comes trembling to tell Jesus what had happened. She knows she's not supposed to be among these numbers and that she can cause uncleanness and they're going to be upset about it, no doubt. And so Jesus stops and makes this proclamation of her faith in his work because he wants her to know he knows what she knows. But also, he wants everybody else to know what they both know. That this woman no longer has this disease. She no longer has this disorder. She no longer has this condition. She is no longer unclean. But now you can take her home with you. She can hold your baby. She can shake hands with you. She can come to the house of God with you. She can worship with you. Why? Because she has been made whole. Thank God. I'm glad that Jesus has got a way of not only telling us that he knows what we know, but he's got a way of telling everybody else what we both know. It ain't something, this matter of touching Jesus, this matter of salvation is not a matter of you going around and trying to convince everybody that you did touch him. If you're having to do that, I probably think that you hadn't touched him. It's not a matter of you proving what you have done or that you have touched him. I'm going to tell you, he's got a way of letting folks know that you've touched him. Heaven will go out in front of you. 
Matter of fact, if they don't know down at the job that you've touched him, you ain't touched him. If your husband doesn't know that you've touched him, you ain't touched him. If your wife doesn't know that you've touched him, you ain't touched him. If your children don't know that you've touched him, you ain't touched him. If your parents don't know you've touched him, you ain't touched him. If your dog don't know you've touched him, you ain't touched him. Because he's interested. Not in leaving folks in dark and doubt how cruel that would have been for her to have went back to the house and people still been standoffish and afraid of her because of her condition. But he wanted everybody there that day to know that this is not the same woman after this day. Now, I've preached enough here for you to know a little bit about my past and how I was raised in West Virginia. And the environment that I was raised in as far as alcohol and so on. Mother left when I was a year and a half old, never set eyes on her. Dad never remarried. Youngest of nine children, just raised in an alcoholic in environment. My dad killed a fellow, lost everything he had to keep out of going uh, in prison. I was preaching up in Canton, Ohio, the church I preached in several times. The pastor told me, he said, Brother Dana, I had a lady come by here uh, one Sunday two weeks ago. As she left, said, I just shook hands with her and asked her where she's from. And she said, from West Virginia. She said, I don't know why I did it, but I just asked her, well, do you, would you happen to know and mention my name and my brother's name? And said, her eyes lit up and she said, yes, sir, I do. But she said, I'll tell you the truth. Folks were afraid to drive by that house because you didn't know if there'd be a gun fired in that direction, a rock thrown in that direction. There's certainly going to be some kind of a fight or something like that that was going on constantly. That was, that was the environment. Uh, cussing was our first language. We didn't have a mother to tell us any different. Stealing was only bad if you got caught. And as a result of that, as a little old boy, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I sensed it when I went into the homes of other people in the community that they didn't really care for me being there because they just didn't know what the outcome might be when I left. I felt that there was a rejection there, and I knew what it was. But I'm here to tell you, as a 15-year-old boy, I met the Lord Jesus. And as I preached this morning, He took care of all that past. And you know what the good Lord did? He started on that day going out in front of me uh, telling folks what he had done in my life. And even to this day, he's still telling folks on me. (laughs) He just got a way of doing it. You know, an old sinner will get saved and and boy, it won't be long the saints will be hearing about it. They'll be seeing the evidence and the Spirit will be bearing witness what has took uh, place. And even to this hour, I I get telephone calls constantly where preachers will say, Brother Danny, you don't know me, but I got a hold of a tape of yours or I was talking to a preacher about you and and the Lord has told me to call you and see if you'll come preach a meeting for me. (laughs) When I hang up, I just say, Thank you, Lord, you've been talking about me again. Telling other folks what has happened in my life. And it ain't just for me, but it's for all his children. He'll let your neighbors know. He'll let your friends know. He'll let the community know. He'll let them know down on the job. Young people, he'll let them know in the school. He'll let your parents know. He'll let everybody know 
if something real has taken place in your life. And boy, she went home, not having to try to convince 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people, a community, a bunch of friends and loved ones and neighbors, that she ain't as unclean as she used to be, but she's been made whole. He made a proclamation of her faith in his word. He wanted her to know that he knew what she knew. He wanted everybody else to know what they both knew. But lastly, I look up to verse number 22, and I like to put myself in the shoes of Bible characters. And there's this man by the name of Jairus, whose daughter, the Scripture said, is at the point of death. Now, I can only try to imagine how I would feel because I've never been there and hopefully will never be there. But to feel how Jairus must have felt, the anxiety, the burden of knowing that the report is my daughter is at the point of death, just a breath away from eternity. Jesus has agreed to go to the house. And so the march has began. They are headed in that direction. I'm sure that Jairus is somewhat relieved knowing that something is going to happen and at least Jesus is going with him. The burden may be lightened just a little bit and and they're moving in that direction. Probably if I was Jairus, I, I don't think it ever got to moving fast enough. I mean, if it was your daughter... You'd want him to get there fast. Something about Jesus, he never hurries up on anything. And so they're heading that direction, making pretty good progress, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing comes to a screeching halt. I'm imagining myself being Jairus, standing on this side. She came up from the back side. He's been up there, uh, she's been, he's been up there in the front of the matter. And I can hear him maybe call James or John, maybe Peter, and say, What's going on? Why why has Jesus stopped? Didn't he know that my daughter's at the point of death? Is he not aware of that? And I can hear Peter saying, Well, I I don't know. He said something about some woman touching him. I I, I can't figure it out. But now wait a minute. She's she's, She's talking. The Bible tells us that she told him all the truth in verse 33. Now, I don't believe in women preachers, but I'd like to have heard that, wouldn't you? She began to tell him everything that had happened. Can you imagine? As she named doctor after doctor and peel after peel and herb after herb and, and uh, faith healer after faith healer and everything that she ever had to go through. And I can see old Jairus. I'm imagining myself being Jairus on the other side. You know what I'd be saying? I wish she'd shut up. I'm glad she's feeling better, but this my daughter's at the point of death. We got to go. And then I can hear him hear her testify and say, But Lord, I just want you to know I had this for twelve years. <laughs> I'm thinking about Jairus. And why Jesus let her say that. Did you notice over is it verse forty one? Or verse number 42. Did you notice how old uh, Jairus' daughter 
was? Does anybody know how old Jairus' daughter was? Twelve years old. Do you think that was just happenstance or accident? That she had the disease twelve years and in the same story and setting he had a daughter that was twelve years old? No, I don't think so at all. You say, well, preacher, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is letting her proclaim her faith in his worth and value. He wants her to know that he knows what she knows, wants everybody else to know what they both know, but he also wants Jairus to know that if he can take care of her 12-year-old disorder, he can take care of his 12-year-old daughter with her issue when he gets to his house. Ah, the blessedness of you touching Christ, standing up and beginning to tell others what Jesus has done in your life is that what it does is it takes the faith that is in your heart that is verified as to His worth and His value and it begins to fan the faith that is in somebody else's heart that is struggling there with an issue themselves. Thank God. I can see old Jerry standing over and he's saying, I wish she'd hurry, I wish she'd... Peter, how long did she say she had that? I don't know, is that about 12 years? Woo! Praise, I believe he said, praise God! Yeah. If he can do that for her in a 12-year situation, I believe he can do that for me in a 12-year situation. Yeah. The thing that I love about crisscrossing the country is I inevitably get to hear some of the saints talk about the issues that they've trusted Christ in and have sensed His deliverance. And boy, every time it seems like it fans faith in my heart to say, Lord, if you can do that for Bill and John and Susan, if you can do that for them, I'm just going to hang on because I believe you can do the same thing for me. (laughs) A fan in faith in the saints taking you down a long, painful road, emptying you of self, bringing you to the place of where He's your only hope, and then letting others see the effects of your faith in His ability and in His worth in your life. Oh, what a fanning it is among the saints to know that if Jesus can help you tonight, and if He can help you tonight, He can help me. Faith is a fan in faith. Aren't you glad that it does? But it takes a faith in the very present tense, worth and value of Christ in your issue tonight.